Welcome to Authority Issues, the podcast about leadership, management, and constructing additional pylons. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pie or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. Currently, I'm sunburned, but sitting under cold gray skies. Well, today on the show, we're talking with Dana Jones, engineering manager at Abstract. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Dana. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's good to be here. So let's just jump right in, Dana. How did you end up as an engineering manager at Abstract? Tell us your story. Yeah. So um, I have made the transition to engineering leadership the more traditional path. I started out as an individual contributor. So I was slinging code like everybody else. And then I just kept finding myself in leadership positions technical leadership, and then gradually a little bit more people management. So almost a year ago, I decided that I wanted to move to doing that full-time. I think um, it just kind of fits my my nature better, and I found that that work was a little bit more rewarding for me. So I put the call out on Twitter, and luckily one of the engineers at Abstract saw it and invited me to apply. So that's how I ended up here. And tell us a little bit about Abstract and what Abstract does and what your day-to-day looks like there. Sure. Um, So Abstract is designer collaboration software. So we integrate with uh, Sketch, and it's a way for designers to have version control over their files, kind of the way that uh, developers use GitHub. And my day-to-day is a lot of Zoom calls and a lot of time spent in Jira and the calendar app, but it's mostly, um, it all just kind of boils down to bringing people together, different, different permutations of that, but it's really all about joining people together. Sure. And is, is this your first management position? Um, yeah, it's my first actual management position before I had had roles where I was like a project lead or a team lead. But this is the first time where I'm I have the full breadth of responsibilities of management, which, you know, includes hiring and firing and performance reviews and all that kind of fun stuff. So, yeah, it's the first official full management role. Okay. And you were you were in uh, were you in design before that? Or were you no. connected to this product? I am the worst designer. I am <laughs> I I was a back-end engineer, so I stayed as far away from anything visual as possible. I felt like that was the kindest thing the to do to the line. world. Yes, yes. <laughs> give me data, give me an API, please. But mm-hmm. no, I have nothing but respect for the designers on our team. I think they're incredibly talented and designers in the world. I mean, they just they just see things really differently than I do. So no, that's, that was definitely not my path to the company. Mm. When you started out as an engineer, did you think you might end up in management at some point or? You know, it's funny. So when I first started off, um, my first job in tech was actually in tech support. Mm -hmm. And um, so I worked a lot with users trying to help them resolve their issues. And we're like kicking it way, way back. So this goes all the way back to like, the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there too, hon. <laughs> um, and so then I met my husband on the internet and uh, we got together and he was a developer, but I had never even really considered it. Never seemed possible to me. I didn't know anybody who wrote code. Um, so I had no reference to it. And I left my job when he and I got together and I was just kind of sitting around bored for the first time in my life. And he was actually tech editing a book. Mm-hmm. And I 
kind of was like looking over his shoulder, like, what are you doing? And he told me, he said, I just read the book, follow the instructions. And when it doesn't work, I write it down. So I was like, I mean, I could do that. I could do that. So, yeah. <laughs> so he put me in touch with his, uh, with his publisher and they had another book that needed a tech edit and it turned out to be a VBA book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started tech editing that book and then the, it was actually a revision and the reviser kind of dropped off the project. And so I was a brand new tech editor, non-programmer, suddenly the reviser of this programming book. So I just started picking it up and just kind of ran with it. But, you know, that started me off in C Sharp and .NET and, you know, that whole Microsoft world. I did that for a while and never considered management of anybody else. I worked as a freelancer for a long time. So I wasn't even really thinking about working with other people. Uh, the management thing just kind of happened naturally, I guess, just organically. Oh, Okay. Yeah, this is something that... Was it a terrible mistake? Yeah, are you having fun? <laughs> I mean, I guess you'd have to ask my direct reports if that's a terrible mistake or not. I mean, it feels to me like it's the right path. Uh-huh. I, I'm really happy. I think it's it's challenging. I've reported on Twitter. It's more exhausting. Like mm-hmm. it's, I think it consumes you more than coding used to. At least that's been my experience. Well, so to me, that may be... Yes. Yeah. And you have to keep like a really broad context for what's going on at your company and in your industry. And, you know, I, I sometimes I kind of miss the the smaller focus that I had as a programmer where it was just me and my code and my failing tests. <laughs> and, <laughs> and sometimes you don't even care about those. <laughs> yes, exactly. So well, um, and, and far enough back, it was you and someone else's code and fa- their failing tests because you were running their code to, to edit these books. Like what, that is, that is the most interesting <laughs> way into tech I've ever heard of. Like, and, <laughs> go, go back to that a little bit. I mean, what got you from, technically editing books you knew nothing about to writing the code. How did you make that jump? So the first website that I ever wrote was uh, a quilt index. That was my first business that I ever launched by myself really in tech. And so um, I'm a quilter and I scrapbook, I quilt, I crochet, I do lots of crafts. Um, And this is like back in probably, I think it was 2001 when we first launched the business and Google hadn't really taken off. And there was not the the ease of search that there mm-hmm. is now. So the only way to find anything, we used to be on these user groups. Do you guys remember Yahoo groups? Oh, yeah. 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 So there were all kinds of quilters, Yahoo groups. Um, and when you were looking for a particular kind of fabric or, you know, a pattern from a certain manufacturer, you would just ask on the group. And it was kind of like, you know, like hive mind mm-hmm. when you were trying to find something. And I finally realized that I could, I could just visit these sites myself. I didn't know how to write a crawler, but I knew how to use a browser. So I would just visit them manually every couple weeks or so. There were probably 200 quilting stores online at the time. So I would just visit them one by one. And I had certain 
things that I was looking up, this was, I didn't even start with a database. It was just a big, ugly HTML table. So. <laughs> oh, the so, joys of HTML tables. Ugh. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I, I feel more, more secure now in admitting the ugliness of my first real <laughs> website, but it started off as a big, ugly table and it had rows that were quilt stores and it had columns that were features and they either had an X or they didn't have an X. And then finally, my husband told me this should be a database. You shouldn't have to deploy your website every time you want to change your data. So then I started learning how to use access and how to use .NET more than just <laughs> this made up scenario in the book <laughs> and built the website. And it, it gradually grew bigger and bigger. I added more features to it. We did online events. Um, we did scavenger hunts online. I sold advertisements and, you know, I just, it was a one woman show. Wow, so I got to do, yeah, I got to do a little bit of everything. Did you, did you ever actually have it searching these sites automatic automatically or no. did you continue to update it manually forever? I did a ladder. I mean, I should say that I, I built a crawler and I figured all that out, but at the time I didn't, I would just visit the sites and then update information manually. The Delta got a little bigger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it you started off sure. every two weeks, but no, as, as more things picked up, it was less and less frequent. Mm-hmm. The, the, the reason I pressed on that is actually my very first job in tech, I was 14 and hired to build a search engine for uh, some internal intranet. And I spent two weeks on it and ended up going to the boss and saying, yeah, I, I can't do this. And, uh, <laughs> and, and leaving. So if you had figured it so, out, you could have been Google. Yeah. Well, I should have just built the search engine, you know, hey, what kinds of things are you looking for? Here's a table and I have manually indexed all yes. the sites. I mean, you know, there there was a way to solve this problem yes. that never occurred to me. So until that just I now. did build. That I did build. Where you could look for, you know, I did build an interface to search the data that I had in the database. I just never built a crawler oh. to get the data into it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you 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 were substantially better at at this than me. That's, that's, that's fine. Uh, I wasn't looking to Give be insecure. Give me the confidence no. of the average white dude. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. This is the part where I make you feel better, right? <laughs> no. That's right. That's right. That. No. <laughs> that is not your job on this as, as, as long as we're all clear about how this is supposed to go. Yeah. Well. So so Dana. So get back to uh, current gig at Abstract and and leading managing first. How long have you been at Abstract doing this? Um, it's going on nine months now. Nine months. Okay. And what have been the things that have been really jarring in the switch to, to people management? Um, I would say the the biggest one, I think, is the lack of immediate feedback, right? So like when you're writing code, you can tell instantly if you have fixed the problem that you're trying to fix or not. But with people management, the feedback loop is a lot longer and it it takes a lot more... Uh, investment to see if your theory on something has paid off or not. And plus, it's it's not my team's job to let me know if I'm doing well or not. So it's great when they give me feedback, but you don't get that, you know, constant feedback the way that you do as a programmer. So trying to find ways to get at that information and other, you know, by other means has been something that I'm still adjusting to, honestly. Mm-hmm. Have you done a uh, like a review cycle with your team at this point? I just completed one. Ooh, how um, that? So we don't do 360s yet. We're, we're a startup, so we're still, you know, a lot of our processes are still 
in the future, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll say. Uh, but we also just went through a reorg. So everybody who had been on my team, um, I started off as a back-end engineer. Everybody who was on my team is now reporting to someone else. And I have a different group of engineers. So because that was happening nicely at the end of a quarter, like that transition happened at the end of a quarter, it felt like the natural point to do um, performance reviews for everybody. And so um, I've actually never received a performance review myself. I mean, I've been in tech for over 20 years now. <laughs> like ever? And I've never, never. I mean, I know no. it sometimes is years between, but wow, not like ever. Yeah, uh. never. No. So the, I, there was somebody else in the company that had recently received one, and I just kind of cribbed the notes from that and then adjusted it to what was relevant to my team. And I think it was, it was cool. It was exhausting, you know, trying to come up with really meaningful, uh, relevant accurate information for for a whole group of people all at once and you know make sure that you're giving praise of the highlights but also areas that they could really focus on because like I know for me I don't want you to waste my time with an hour review of a document that doesn't show me how I can get better mm-hmm. yeah yeah I mean so. I think I've had two performance reviews in my entire career and and one of them was delivered so poorly that you know it, I probably would have been better off without one of them um, so, you know, so how did Rachel, it go? you how- sound aghast at that. But, I am, uh, I am aghast. What's that, Dana? <laughs> I was just wondering how, what was your experience of performance review? Like, did, did you have time to read it ahead of time or was it one-on-one? What was it like? So, uh, I mean, back then it was, there were 360 reviews and, um, essentially my, my manager's job was to collate all that information and then deliver it to me. And he basically sat down and said, you know, these are the things I'm super pleased with you about. These are the things, you know, the rest of your superiors are happy about your, your coworkers are hacked off at you because of this, this, and this is this true is this a reality do you are you really this awful like I mean, it was kind of this. like i have no idea as your manager yeah. i haven't been paying attention well i mean your peers see you differently than your manager does right like i have been super happy with a report that their peers were extremely unhappy with because certain people can put on a certain facade for you right mm-hmm. um it's true it's true so like that's yeah i don't know yeah, it's, it's weird. I'm not sure I have that sorted out. But anyways. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that's definitely an area that's new to me. So I think there's a lot of room for me to to grow. That's why I was so curious about your experience, because I haven't actually known a lot of people who received reviews. And I've, I know even fewer who had good review experiences. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of always like on the hunt for other people's information about how that went down and try to apply that in ways to make it better for my team. Well, talk about, talk about when you delivered the performance review to your team and and how did that go? And did they want it to be, you know, did, was anybody like, what? I'm shocked. Why have you never said this before? No, nobody was surprised. I I think I've done a pretty good job with my team of giving them feedback all along. So we have weekly one-on-ones and I try to surface any, there's not a lot of negative information, but any, you know, areas of growth that I hear about. I try to pass those on early because I don't think there's really anything to be gained by holding on to that. So um, what I did, I wrote them out ahead of time. I made sure they had at least 24 hours to read them um, and digest them. And, you know, I didn't want to hit somebody with this in a meeting with me already there. Yeah, that would be, I'm a fan of you know, giving it that out wouldn't ahead be the of kindest. time too. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we sat down and because this was kind of like a handoff performance review, I knew they were going to new management, that whole section where, you know, you might typically see meets expectations, does not meet expectations. I sort of left that out. Like I let them see what they were, um, I let them see what they were going to be evaluated on in their next performance review with their manager, like what the specific criteria were, but I didn't give them any kind of rating on it. I just kind of left the door open. I said, if, if you were still going to report to me next quarter, then I probably would have given you a rating on these different things. And almost every single one of them asked me to go ahead and verbally give them that feedback. Yeah, people want to know. So, they do. Yeah. Yeah. People don't want to wait until. But with, what, what's interesting about that is recently, um, some of our engineers requested that they have a quarterly uh, review period, and yeah. I, I just thought that was interesting. Like, um, you know, we feel like we're giving you feedback on the regular, but maybe having a dedicated something. Uh, yeah, comforts them just knowing that it's coming. I'm I amazed guess. that your engineers yeah. asked for review cycles. That's I come from a world where people are like, "Oh, it's review time again." I hate this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's super weird. I mean, there's there's things our engineers do all the time that's that surprise us. But yeah, uh, to be yeah. clear, they didn't ask for the whole review. Mm-hmm. They just asked me to clarify that section since I hadn't put the actual you know ratings mm-hmm. on it. But I, I think they were. By and large, I think they were glad to get the feedback. I think that, you know, we're we're driven like any other profession. We want to get better at what we're doing. And so I think in some cases it validated what they already knew. And in other cases, it, it was an opportunity to have conversations about, okay, so you say that I'm not so great at like being visible for to the rest of the departments, to other departments. Then how can I do that? What are some suggestions for ways mm. to do that? You know, it allowed those conversations to come up, which is really yeah. good. So let me make sure I understand. So this, and maybe I misunderstood, but uh, this team that you just gave the sort of handoff reviews to, that was the team that you were on before you were made a manager? So these people used to be your peers? Oh, sorry. No. So okay. I was I was a little unclear. So um, at Abstract, we just had a, a reorganization of our engineering team. Mm. So before, everybody reported to a manager by whatever their function was. So like back end or front end or desktop. And so just in the last couple of weeks, we've reorganized into a squad model. So now an entire squad's engineers will report to the same engineering manager, no matter what type of coding they do. Mm-hmm. So these were my back-end engineers that were going off to other teams. My my squad now has no back-end engineers on it. So well, that see. was, yeah, okay. that's how it was a handle. And your squad is developing one product or something responsible for the whole life cycle of it? Well, Abstract only has one product right now. It's it's just oh, okay, there you Abstract, go. but it's, my squad is called Core Experience. So it's the it's the core component of the version control. So it's everything about, you know, branching and merging and committing. Um, so it's, it's what you think of as the product. I mm-hmm. say that and gotcha. I, I hope my peers aren't going to hear this and think that I'm like downplaying the importance of other squads. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and so talk about the reorg. How has that been? I mean, managing through a reorg has got to be interesting it's, in and of itself. There's been a lot of emotion. You know, I mean, change is really hard to take. Any amount of change is hard to take. A change that you don't really have a whole ton of input into is hard. And, you know, over the last month, we've changed. For some people, we've changed their manager. We've changed their team. We added JIRA. 
We um, we added agile. Well, we, we started sprints. Full, full stop right there. We we added Jira. We understand no, no. the tiers and the whole. No slacking <laughs> around Jira. Jira works <laughs> fine if you know what you're doing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How many yeah. companies know what they're doing, Rachel? Sorry, that keep going. That is a different thing entirely. <laughs> no. added Jira moved people around. Sorry, we interrupted yeah. you. No, you're fine. I mean, so this is this is what I mean. Like, it's a lot of change. It's a lot to yeah. take in. A lot of people have negative histories with Jira, myself included, full mm-hmm. disclosure. Closure. So trying to find ways to use the tool to help and not get in the way of the work. Like yeah. we're still figuring sure. it out. So I'm not going to say that like two weeks in, we've got it all sorted out because we don't. Yeah. And so but right now it's like that. Like when you're, yeah. the, when you're the leader and you've had, you know, for example, oh, we're going to be bringing in Jira and everyone's like, what? Yeah. You can't be like, oh God, it sucks so much. Yeah. You have to be well, a little more, oh, well, let's make it work. <laughs> I think I think it's a balance, right? Like if you just come in and you're trying to sell this this known problematic piece of software, <laughs> at least as from the viewpoint of a lot of engineers as the the best thing ever, yeah. there you're going you have no credibility. So mm-hmm. I think it's a balance between acknowledging that the tool has some problems and some limitations and that people have had history with it. And then also saying, we're going to use what works for us. We're going to ignore everything else. We're going to figure it out. You don't try to sell something you can't really, pro- like, you don't make a promise you can't deliver on. So mm-hmm. I was sure, careful sure. not to, not to like, go to my team and say, okay, we're starting. It's all going to be great. So Mm -hmm. that just sets expectations. It's impossible to meet. So, yeah, I mean, I think my team has been, by and large, really positive and open to it. I try to make a really safe space in one-on-ones for people to share their real feelings about it. And sometimes people just want to be heard, right? Like, Mm -hmm. they might not have control over the situation. They might understand fully that there's, you know, there's only so much wiggle room here. If the organization as a whole is using JIRA, we're all using JIRA. You can't just yep. decide not to. But sometimes just being heard is as much as people need. It makes them feel and and know, not just feel, but know that they're valued. Yeah. yeah. And like well, there's then, a compromise being made, but you still hear them and Yeah. yeah that's very important. I agree. And when well, I yeah, hear the, Oh, go, go ahead. ahead Dana. I was just gonna say, like if if I hear feedback, that might be something that even within the tool we might be able to adapt it to whatever the concern is. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say to both of y'all's point, like if there there can be a tool that when used correctly is a great help to the company, just like any changes, right? I mean, the, this this reorg is not going to solve all of the company's problems, right? Exactly. And if you pitch it as such, like, hey, we're reorging because then hashtag all the money, right? Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, that's, that's not how it works. Like, hey, we have to be all in on this. We have to buy in. We have to all fight to make this work. And like, I understand it's frustrating. I understand it's hard. Here's the context you need to have for who's excited about it, who's not, and why they're still all in. Here's, you know, there's yeah. all this context that can be communicated. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right that in order to even maintain your credibility, you have to be like, hey, look, I didn't I'm not buying into this because I'm a moron. Like they're they're landmines yeah. <laughs> there, but uh, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly, yeah. Yeah. So totally. And it doesn't sound like so you're you're a, you're a new manager in this role, and you said you've been there a little over a year. No, I've been there almost nine months. So oh, okay. you know, closer closer to a year than from okay. start date, but yeah, uh, yeah. So um, and it doesn't sound like so the company is not of a size where they can kind of give you management training. Have you had any any leadership training there? 
Uh, they they probably would give me management training if I asked for it. We mm. we do have an allowance, you know, a budget. Each of us individually, not just management, but everybody has a personal development budget that we can use. I'm actually in school right now. I oh, yeah? never finished a bachelor's degree, so I'm pursuing a management degree. So that's kind of my training. I also read a lot when I have time. You know, management books specifically about tech. So, uh-huh. can you recommend yeah. anything? Yeah, anything specific you really like? Oh, um, there's so many of them. Camille Fournier, basically uh-huh. any word that she says is gospel. So <laughs> big believer in that. I I have a lot that I have started and not completed, so I wouldn't want to recommend them just yet. But there was a book that, I, an audio book that I actually heard about a year ago. I hope I get the title right, but um, uh Maybe we can post it in the comments. I want to make sure that I get the the name of oh, yeah. it right. If you, if you tell us later, I'll I'll, uh, I'll yeah. add the notes. That'd be but great. if you tell Thanks. us now, we can compare <laughs> the notes to what you say. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's a book about how to receive feedback, oh, not how okay. to give feedback, but how to receive feedback. Well, so okay, the premise of the book is that you know feedback typically falls within a few certain categories, and I'm going to get I'm not going to get them all right, but it's like coaching or cheerleading, or, you know, uh, information, there's, I think there were four. And so when you come into a conversation with somebody, and you're expecting one kind of feedback, and you get the other, it's about how you react to that, and how you might block yourself off from being able to, like, take value from that conversation. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you come into your performance review, and you're expecting to get praise, and you end up getting coaching instead, then you might not even be able to take in that coaching. So there was a lot of tips in that book about, you know, how to set boundaries. Yes, exactly. And preparing your, your partner, your conversation partner Mm -hmm. for what, what the expectation is for that meeting. Yeah. Yeah. That is so from, it it is from both sides or just, Um, there was some from both sides. It's called thanks for the feedback. Ah, The name just now came to me and yeah, it's, it's mostly about receiving feedback, but I think at the end there are, there are, there are some hints about giving feedback as well. Have you have you um, have you had or read any uh, advice that you thought was super great or super terrible? What's what's the best and or worst leadership or management advice you've ever received or read? Ooh, Ooh wow, that's that's a that's good question, a deep Rachel. question. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's a new question. Can we give you some on this call if you, if you don't have any excellent? Uh, yeah, why don't you give me yours while I think? <laughs> that's very clever. So clever. Oh, uh, well, definitely some of the best feedback, the uh, best uh, advice I've ever received is to before going into a, a discussion with someone that, who works for you about, you know, what how they're doing, make sure you understand your own motivations for what you're going to say. Okay, that's great. Yeah. But you asked I mean, for what the are you worst, trying to accomplish? Rachel. I said I, I said best or worst. Oh, oh okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So whichever is easier. Okay. <laughs> so let me say, I, I would say that um, maybe some of the best advice that I've ever heard is to not hold on to bad feedback. Like if you have negative or constructive feedback, that it's most valuable the sooner you give it. Um, and the longer you hold on to it, and this this the the less valuable it is and the more damage you're doing by holding on to it. Oh, I think that's, oh, that's valuable really feedback. Um, and then the, the worst might be just measuring people by the numbers. Yeah. Like how many pages did you write? How many lines? Yeah. Of code? 
yeah, how many bugs did you close? How many points did you did you complete this iteration? Like people are more than just their numbers. Yeah. And numbers yeah. as much as we like to think it's all about math, the numbers are inherently flawed. So if we're only looking at our humans by, you know, on the basis of some number that in a lot of cases is kind of arbitrary anyway. We're we're working through the process of estimating tickets, which is a new thing for us at Abstract. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you were to only gauge a person's worth by the number of tickets they close and not, for example, by how much they help a peer who might be working on tickets, our, our principals might not have any points at all. Our principal engineers right. might not have a single ticket assigned to them. Does that mean they're worthless? Of course mm-hmm. not. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And that stuff. Yeah. Even judging if judging everyone. Question. <laughs> Even if oh. you are are planning out a project and, and you know you want to have some idea for um for just for estimation purposes, how many points, how difficult is this going to be to do, that kind of yeah. thing. It just takes practice. It takes and, and yeah. the circumstances are forever changing as well. So you're always going to have yeah. some you know, some lack of visibility there. So so it's exactly. so unfortunate that so many orgs tend to lean very heavily on that in terms of productivity metrics. Yeah, and I think it exacerbates the natural tension between product and engineering. Mm-hmm. Because if if an engineer feels Absolutely. like, you know, they're signing a blood oath that this is actually three days of work, mm-hmm. you know, they right. approach the midpoint of day two and a half and this unnecessary anxiety builds up. Like it's it serves no purpose. It's, if we really drive home the point that an estimate is just that, it's just an estimate and that they're the consequences of misestimating are not so tragic, then maybe we wouldn't have that natural tension. I mean, that should be a thing yeah. that should be, you know, for want of a better word, measured as well. Like how good are, is a given person at estimating their workload? Yeah. And Jira does that for us. Yeah, Jira does that for <laughs> It tells you how bad they are at measuring. Yeah. Um, well, which like, that's interesting to me because, uh, you know, people, People maybe explicitly said to you, Dana, that that it's about measuring your people and and holding them accountable to that. But I think the worst management advice I've ever been given has never been explicit, but has been repeated throughout my career. And that's that the ends justify the means, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. matter how many bridges we burn, how many engineers we destroy, how many whatever, as long as yeah. we accomplish you know, whatever that is, profitability like we want or growth like we want or fame, you know, whatever the the thing is that the company's shooting for at the time. Um, yeah, you know, it's totally. been given to me many, many times that the ends justify the means. And I think that's a, you know, the macro level of the same problem you're talking about. Oh, um, yeah. 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 You, you but, can't burn your people for your product. I mean, well, you can. Just, you can. You can. You can do that. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on what your goals but, are. Yes, please don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, so, Dana, I want to ask, uh, you know, this is authority issues. We like to ask everybody, you know, what what is your relationship with authority? How do you feel about having relationship over other people? And how do you feel about others having authority over you? And I'm particularly interested, you know, you're relatively new to this. Uh, stepping into a role of authority, is it intimidating? Does it feel natural? Has it been fun? Are you happy you're there? Uh, you know, what, what, what's your reaction to that? Honestly, it feels totally natural. So aside from what I do at work, I'm also a mom of four kids. So, uh, Huzzah! Be- <laughs> between 
between that and volunteering, I do a lot of volunteer work with, you know, with scouts and with civic organizations and stuff like that. And even in, in those kinds of, you know, roles, I end up taking leadership responsibility. So it's always, it's always been the case. I always seem to end up in a leadership role. So it doesn't feel unnatural. It did take me about a good, I'll say a good six months before the imposter syndrome kind of died down to a dull roar. I was used to it in coding, but there was this whole new set of fears and anxieties and self-doubt that came about when I started managing people. Mm. Um, But I feel a lot more confident now because I've had enough months there to kind of weather a few cycles of change. Um, And I have started getting feedback from my team on a regular basis, current and past, that lead me to believe that I'm doing well at this. So, you know, not to say I'm perfect because I screw up all the time, but I also try to own that out loud when I mess up because I think that normalizes failure. And that I think is one of the critical things that a manager can do regardless of engineering or otherwise is own your shit, own your failures out loud so that everybody else can. Absolutely. Especially as a, as a parent. I mean, I remember that being the key thing that sticks in my head is from my father was he would, he would own when he really made mistakes. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, wait, so can we take a quick aside? How old are your kids? We don't talk to a lot of people with four children. I too have four <laughs> children. So this is kind of exciting. They're, they're all teenagers. Ooh. They are 13, 14, 16, and 18. So I have one that's a freshman in college, and then I have a junior and a freshman in high school and a seventh grader. It's a lot of angst at my house. Yeah. I'm a few years from that, but it's it's yeah. coming as well. So, so I, I want to get back to yeah. so you were saying so we were we were asking about you know your changes in your your relationship to authority and whether that's different and we often also ask you know does this has this affected your personal life becoming a leader and it sounds as though and usually it's people go yeah yeah I learned about how to communicate better how to how to assert myself how to communicate with other people who don't necessarily uh, aren't committed to whatever we're trying to do. And so I was better as a participant on the school board or whatever. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like you did it the other way around. You got all that experience being a leader first, and then you are bringing it to bear on your current new gig, which is a really nice flip. I I like it. (laughs) Yeah. And I actually think that they both are still interplaying on each other. Like I did the civic leadership before I did leadership at work, but there are still certain things that I learn or that, you know, that I've picked up on the job that I'm turning around and applying. Like Mm -hmm. I don't have to win every argument. I don't have to. Yeah. I don't have to get my way all the time, but once a decision is made, I still have to do the best that I can to advocate for it and push it forward and try to make it a success. The disagreement part. Yeah. Yes. Yes, Uh exactly. And so like for, for example, my youngest daughter is in power tumbling. And so there's a group of parents and, you know, we love our kids. We all have strong opinions about things, but when the coach says your kid needs to get to bed by nine 30, you know, if that is the coach and that's the authority figure in your child's life, then you have to back them up. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to, if you're, if you're going to set that person up as an authority figure to your child and back them up, unless they're doing something that puts them at risk or, or, you know, puts them at harm, then my job in that situation, recognizing that she is the leader is to take the step back and be the soldier and say, I might not agree with that. I might think 
10 or nine or seven or whatever is a better <laughs> time, but this is the role you've set. So I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can to back you up on this and try to make this successful. Yeah. For the outcome to be successful. That's definitely yeah. super goal oriented. I like it. <laughs> yeah. 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 She's very driven too. I think she has a lot of that in her. It's funny to see my kids. They both, you know, all four of my kids have the same mother and father raised in the same house with the same rules, but they're just so different. And you know, that too, I think is, is, like a, I recognize that at work as well. Yeah. Like you have to adjust your management style to your individual direct reports the same way you have to adjust your parenting style Again, to your individual child. Oriented. You, you got to do what works and it doesn't, mm-hmm. the same thing doesn't always work. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The, the difference is when at work, you get that person that's really a problem child. You can try. And if you can't figure it out, you can just fire him. Yeah, I've never had to do that, though. I hope I I mean, I know it's unrealistic to expect to go the entire rest of my career never have to do that. But I really dread that. I think that's probably the worst part of management is is the disciplinary part. The key, again, that that piece of advice I mentioned earlier, this is a crucial time to know what your motivations are, know where you are with this and and, and Mm -hmm. proceed that way without, you know, but before just jumping in and saying, oh, God, you, you need to prepare yourself to give that feedback. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and I make that joke flippantly, but, uh, you know, there's there's one of my kids is always rubbing me wrong. Right. And and uh, making it work is part of the whole thing. Well, I'm going to tell uh, your kids. One of them to fire my kids, though. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I threatened that. One of these days, I'm probably going to fire one of my kids. <laughs> out temporarily. Yeah. Well, I don't know. They're getting to be old enough to be permanently fired. Yeah. You know, they they get to be adult, and at some point, they they not fire them from the family, but maybe fire them from the nest, from living at home, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I know that's that's yeah. not as easy as it was when we were younger to leave the nest, but uh, yeah. yeah, I like calling that firing. You're fired. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you, oh, go ahead, Kendall. Well, I was just going to ask Dana. You know, shift a little bit towards your personal life. What what are what are your hobbies outside of work, separate from the kids? Um. So right now, within school, I don't have a ton of time for outside hobbies. But when I do have time, I really love to read for pleasure. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm reading a lot of management books, but I also like to read for pleasure, especially history and autobiographies. Um, I like to watch movies. I like to crochet and quilt and sew and scrap. I like to leave things behind. <laughs> I've, I've, I don't think I started out deliberately doing that, but I did recognize at a certain point that the hobbies where I'm actually making things are things that I expect to outlive me. So oh, that's interesting. try to create a legacy beyond me. My kids like to look at their old baby scrapbooks um, and the memories that have stuck with them, I've noticed, are the ones that are reinforced by the books. Ah, and quilts are sure. also great sort of heirloom heritage type. Yeah. I think. I picked that up from my grandma. Oh. So my grandmother was the the crafty one in our family. And I can remember when I was a little girl, um, she had made a quilt top. And we were over at my stepmom's house. And we were all hand quilting. I don't hand quilt. I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> but... But we all were just sitting around this talking and laughing and joking and quilting. And, and that memory will stay with me for the whole rest of my life. That connection to a thing is really a connection to the people behind yeah. the thing. The knitting circle. The, the, yeah. The so well, great. Yeah. 
And and what's I mean, tell us a little bit more about the program you're in where you're studying management. What's what's that look like? And, you know, are, are, is it all online? Are you in class? Are there certain professors that are having a significant impact on you or um, or does it feel primarily like a waste of time and, and rehashing things you've already learned the hard way? It's a mix. It's a mix of all of those things, actually. Some of the classes are online and some are in person. So it's it's just a traditional four-year university. Um, I, I attend the University of Southern Indiana. Mm-hmm. And some of my classes are online and some are in person. So, for example, this past semester, which is just winding down, just one more test. Mm-hmm. I can't get through it. One more test. Um, <laughs> thank you. And one class online. And then I had three classes in person. And some of it is new and interesting information, like finance is the test that I have left. I'm not great at finance. I actually really have to work hard to understand that. It, and I think it has to do with the way I grew up was very blue collar. So all of the terminology is new to me. It's not something that, you know, I just naturally encountered in my life up to this mm-hmm. point. But then there are other classes, like the online classes, human resources. And it's, it's kind of ironic to be taking a class about how to create a resume and how to review resumes when that's literally your job. <laughs> so that part was kind of fun. Um, Did you give and, anybody advice in that in that class? No, this is well, all wrong. Don't do this. <laughs> that was the online class. So I didn't um, actually get to give anybody any advice. But we did take a project management. I just finished a project management class. And I got to tell you, the way they teach project management is nothing like project managing software. And I tried to make that point, but I think that the, the instructor was not real open to feedback. I will just <laughs> say that. Read that book or listen to that podcast. Or <laughs> yes, they need to. They need to listen to the audio book. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> um, How to receive feedback for professors, yes. specifically my professors. I have <laughs> I have read this version of the book. Uh, <laughs> yeah, here's the Cliff's Notes version of this book, just for oh, you. That's right. No, but I've she's, swapped she's out she's your greatest. name in place of yeah. the word you. Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just going to say, I think most of the classes have been fun. So the reason I went back, um, not that you specifically asked this, but I started. Oh, thanks. So so glad you would ask. Uh, So I started my degree right out of high school, like everybody else. And then I dropped out because of, uh, I was, I was married before and coddling his academic career Mm. kind of took priority over pushing my own forward. Uh So I ended up dropping out. I was working full time. And then I started having, you know, I got remarried and started having kids. And I went, my, my, my oldest was a freshman, you know, was it the about to be a freshman. So we went on a college visit and we sat in on this intro to law class. He's, he's pre-law. And we sat in on this class and everybody was just so taking it for granted you know, like not engaging with the class, not answering questions, mm. not really looking at the book, just students, you mean? passing yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. The students. And I, I got angry. I was like, you are so entitled. Like you have this amazing opportunity just right in front of you and you're not taking advantage of it. And I was pissed off. And then I realized that I was angry because I wasn't taking advantage of it. And there was nothing keeping me from finishing my degree except for me. You know, modern day companies, they, most, you know, most companies in tech now have some degree of comfort with remote work. They recognize the need for people to have lives outside of their work. And they're pretty supportive of flexible working hours. At least that's been my experience. So I decided to go back and, I have three more semesters to go, 
after this one wraps up and then I'll be done. So it, it wasn't really because I felt like I needed the degree or that it was a prerequisite to get where I wanted to go in my career. It was just because it was something that I felt like was taken from me. So I was taking it back. Well, I'm super glad you got that opportunity. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a really cool perspective. I I'm curious this far in with only three semesters to go, are, are you now sitting in the class eyes glazed over just trying to get through it? Or are you able to still <laughs> appreciate it? Because you know, a lot of people burn out towards the end. Yeah. Well, this is my, what, like my third semester plus this past, not, you know, this past summer I took a class every single month. So I did a class a month, including calculus. Calculus in a month is not Oof. for the faint of heart. No. Yeah. Um, so at this point, at the beginning of the semester, I'm excited. You know, I just got the books. I've maybe read the syllabus. I'm excited about it. And I'm also just about to get into the real core of management classes. Up till now, it's mostly been prerequisites. But yeah, by the end of the semester, I'm kind of ready for it to all be done. Yeah. You know, yeah, this, yeah. this past semester has been pretty long, especially given the number of changes at work. And I've got kids that are in college and about to go to college. So that kind of sucks down a lot of time as well. So managing time has been the most challenging part. The work itself is no harder than what I do at my real job. It's oh, just been no. time management. Yeah. I was just thinking no harder. The work, the work at your job is no harder than what you're dealing with at home. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, I could see that too. Yeah. they <laughs> Kids know how to push your buttons, man. I mean, sure do. and they're not shy about it. Mine yeah, just got home from kids. school and are literally screaming in the next room. So yeah, you want to talk about button pushing? I'm not here uh, then. No, that's I'm good. hiding it from mine in my bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So better. do you feel like you had a you have a different relationship with authority than you did when you were a kid? Did um, you have good role models for authority, or do you feel like you picked something up? Uh, I d I think I do. Yeah. So I was raised in the South. I'm from Texas. I was raised mm -hmm. in Dallas, and you just did not question authority. It just, whatever you were told you were did, whatever you were told you did, or, mm -hmm. you know, you, you got hit, honestly. You, you know, switch, yeah, yeah, exactly. So there was no pushback. It was, there was this expectation that you'd have blind authority. So what ended up happening is that you put, people would push back on authority privately, you know, you'd sneak. And now I, I think with age and confidence, I've gotten to the point where I feel comfortable questioning authority in a respectful way. Mm. So I would say that that has definitely changed. And I don't know, I'm one of these weird, I don't know if this resonates with either of you, if you feel like this, like I can lead or I can follow. What I struggle the most with is trying to co-lead. Co-leading is really mm. hard for me. Yeah. You know, because like, where are the bounds between what's your responsibility and somebody else's responsibility? Yeah, so it takes communication for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm is, really good at a situation like that right now. Is that a, um, is that a work thing or is that a, another outside of work thing? I think that happens over and over throughout our lives. I, I have yeah. had that situation at work, you know, where, for example, at, at the company I'm at, at Abstract, we had, we hired another back-end engineer. It was the first time we ever had two engineers for the same function. And so we had some fumbling around how do we handle hiring? You know, if we want to change something about our hiring scorecards, do we have to both agree? Does only one of us have to do that? Do we, do we both have to sign off on a new hire? Um, who conducts the, P like there was a lot of those kinds of questions that, that came up. Um, yeah. 
that's all been worked out now with squads. So I don't have that particular problem, but I think in general, just, you know, like for PTA is a good example. You, some, you know, you mentioned PTA earlier mm-hmm. and it's like, if you're on a committee with somebody and you're, I'm going to pick a really example, a really easy example. You're supposed to do the backdrop, right? Like for a photo booth or something like that. Who decides where things go? How do you negotiate that, that difference of opinion? If you think something should be set up one way and somebody else should be. So that, that kind of constant negotiation, you know, I don't think there's any way to really get away from it. I just don't think I'm particularly great at it or at least it definitely it, helps to be like goal oriented. Like what is the outcome and then walk back from there. Yeah. But, or uh. <laughs> it, it, for me, it's just easier. Like, do you want me to do this or do you want me to support you in doing this? Mm-hmm. So that's just, I don't know. I just find that a little easier than trying to co-manage things. Co-parenting yeah. is another example too. Like mm. I always hear about these stories where, you know, maybe one of the parents is a soldier and they might be deployed for months at a time. And so the parent that's at home with the kids, they set up a certain routine and structure and system of rules. And then the person comes back from deployment and upends it, not intentionally, mm-hmm. but, oh, I didn't know we were telling them that they, you know, couldn't have dessert until they finished their, their food anymore. So trying to reintegrate back in and share that authority that had been very clearly laid out for just one person. Like, yeah. I think it would be, it would be easy if communication were easy. Yeah. Yeah. Communication's hard. And so then that's the hardest part. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, totally. We are getting to the end of our timeframe here. Sorry to to have to wrap it up, but I wanted to ask you um, so that folks could reach out to you if they had further questions, where can people find you on the internet? Um, sure. Yeah. So I am Dana Britt all the places. So on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on GitHub even. So uh-huh. any any social media that I'm on, I'm on as Dana Britt. Dana, D-A-N-A-B-R-I-T. Okay, cool. And we'll include that in the show notes. Cool. Thank you so, much, so much for, for having me on. Dana. It yeah, was a was pleasure. Fun.